This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where unfortunately we have to dissect another Everton defeat. The Blues lost 1-0 to Leeds United at Goodison Park on Saturday, thanks to a second-half strike from Rafinha, as Carl Antonio's side were made to pay for some missed chances across the 90 minutes. I'm your host, Adam Jones, joined by Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland to talk about the game. And uh, we'll jump straight in with Dave. What a strange match that proved to be, eh? Yeah, we were just briefly discussing it before we went live here. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a strange game. I totally understand the frustration and the upset amongst uh, a large proportion of the Everton support base. Uh, a lot of uh, harsh words were spoken uh, on Saturday night. And I understand that, but I didn't think it was you know, that bad. I mean, it was frustrating. It was disappointing. Um, and the big concern for me is the fact that we still don't look like being able to keep clean sheets. I mean, defensively, we were poor again. I know there's only one goal scored, but you know, Leeds could quite comfortably have had several. Uh, but we created chances on another day. We just scored two or three goals. VAR, we're not going to go down that road. But, you know, so two goals disallowed, you know, so by the video assistant referee. So, you know, it, it was frustrating. Uh, the issue for me, James Rodriguez, uh, when teams are able to nullify his influence, which they seem to be doing more effectively at the moment, we rely so heavily on the other flank. Uh, Richarlison and Lucas Dinia, and obviously with Dinia not being there, that that is something that you know we haven't overcome just yet. And then, like I say, defensively, we've got to get the defensive kind of things right, and we haven't at the moment, and that is the big concern for me. But it wasn't as bad and as wretched as some people were saying. It was disappointing, sure, it was frustrating, but let's put it into some kind of perspective. You know, Leeds are okay, but as we said on Friday, it was going to be a tough game. Just frustrating, you know. The, you know, the things are almost you know so right in some areas of the pitch, and we just got to be patient and keep at it. You know, we're still very much a work in progress. Mm. We'll talk a little bit more about James Rodriguez in this system in a little while. But Chris, I saw mm. a lot of people describing the game as a game of fine margins, which unfortunately Everton just fell on the wrong side of. Uh, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, it was. It wasn't. Really, uh, Carlo Ancelotti himself said that he he'd feared all along that um, it would be first goal is the winner almost, even though it could have been a very high scoring um, encounter. Both sides um, creating uh, lots of chances. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I suppose in isolation, like they said, they, it wasn't a wretched display or, or awful result. And uh, I, it, it, it was one of those things where. Uh, you know, it took a, you know a moment of brilliance, despite all those um, great chances that were fashions to actually go and win the game. It's just, just concerning the, like, say the the trend of the way things have been the last few weeks, ever since the derby. Really, like uh, we said, that uh, James Rodriguez just hasn't been the same since he picked up that knock, and if you nullify his creative threat, and you know, it is it is three defeats out of four now, and as, as much as there were many plus points going forward at, at Fulham. You know, that was a lot tougher than it than it needed to be. I'm just I'm just a bit um, concerned at the moment. I mean, hopefully, you know, it could all change again with a good result at, at Burnley. But uh, it, it is quite concerning for me at the moment. Mm. As Bees mentions there, Gav, you know, it was a bit of a game of two halves against Fulham, wasn't it? And it, we were hoping in the build up to this game that we'd see a bit more of the first half Everton than the second half Everton in this match against Leeds. But it was a bit it was a bit more like the first. The, the second half against Fulham, really, wasn't it? Leeds were getting a number of chances. 
two words, Luca D. Yeah. Um, half against Fulham. Excellent. Two assists, was it? Yeah. Threat down their left side. Give them something to think about. Um, on Saturday, we had quite a long, prolonged discussion about our options on the left on Friday's part, didn't we? Yeah. And I think we came to the conclusion playing a Roby out there would be a mistake. Um, <laughs> both defensively and, and offensively. Prami said um, maybe Delph at left back and maybe the back four. Uh, and I think that definitely contributed to, to the, if you're going to compare us against uh, Fulham in the first half on Saturday. There's no Lucas Dean on the pitch, you know, also made worse by the fact that, you know, obviously we've got no Seamus Coleman. Mm. So, yeah, um, but I haven't said that. I, I, there's been worse performances in the last month than that on Saturday. I can think of probably two off the top mm. of my head. Um, so, we have to be seeing that context. And also, seeing the context, I thought Leeds were good, actually. I mean, it would have been a great game to go to, wouldn't it? By the way, if they'd been a full out that game. Front of yeah. into, I, I can't remember the last team to have 23 attempts on goal against us at Goodison. Mm. Uh, to be honest, in one game, you know, probably. You know, but they, they were always a threat. I thought they were excellent, and mm. but they give you they give you a problem really that I don't think many other teams in the top flight do, and also has to be seen in that context. Um, but yeah, it was it was disappointing. But I've seen worse, uh, to be honest with you. I've seen worse this season. I mean, we'll talk about that team selection for a little bit, Preno. Uh, as Gav rightly says, Alex Awobi was the man chosen to line up at left wing back, which was. An interesting decision and probably proved to be the wrong one, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that was clearly made on the basis of his performance at Fulham on the opposite flank, you know, when he looked so impressive and, you know, given his his two-footed nature of his game, I suppose, you know, so Carlo thought that, you know, why shouldn't he be able to reproduce that on the opposite flank? But he didn't, you know, as ever throughout his Everton career, he's been inconsistent. And uh, having had one really good performance, he, he stuck, from the word go, his passing was sloppy. And you thought, oh, we're going to see one of those performances. So I can understand why he made that choice. Uh, but equally, it was the wrong one, I think. I mean, <laughs> conversely, Tom Davis did well, I thought, on the opposite flank. Uh, he got forward uh, quite often. You know, he got some, some quality on the ball. Um, and, you know, he looked OK. But unfortunately, that wasn't replicated. And the... the there are problems with the balance of the team at the moment. And, uh, you know, Carlo clearly needs to spend a bit of time looking at it um, before we can get it right. But those fullback, fullback is such a key role in modern football. And you know, they're specialists. I mean, Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman are specialists you know, so in, that, in that role. And um, you take them out of the equation. And we haven't got like for like. And Konku probably could become that player in time. But, you know, he's a baby. He's like hardly played any kind of, you know, sort of senior football yet. Uh, so it would be a big ask to ask him to come in and do the kind of thing that Luca Dean does. So we are looking for other options. I suggested Delph last week as maybe you know a more conservative approach, uh, but the fact that he's played there you know for two full seasons effectively for Manchester City under Guardiola, but he, he chose not to. He went for Iwobi. It didn't work. Uh, you know, so Iwobi is fast running out of uh, running out of credit from some Evertonians because you just want to see him do it. You know, two or three games in succession, and once again he didn't. Unfortunately. Mm. Well, Bees Preno mentions and Konku there. You know, he was he was at Goodison Park. He was in his match gear, but uh, he wasn't in the squad. Uh, do you think his inclusion would have changed anything? Yeah, it'd have been a more natural option, wasn't it? I mean, 
who are we to, I suppose, doubt Carlo Ancelotti given his uh, stellar CV? I mean, and uh, I, um, was we, we were on the uh, anniversary of Sam Allardyce's appointment today. Mm. Um, oh, years ago, talking like that. Um, <laughs> some, Sunday was Mike Walker's seventy fifth birthday. Go on, wash so, your mouth out. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so so if you consider the managers that have and have had in the recent past and the not so recent past, but in uh, certainly three of our uh, collective memory, you know, how do you criticize someone like Carlo Ancelotti? But for me. He seemed to overcomplicate things with those decisions. Like you said, Nkonku would have been the natural option at left wing back. Um, John Joe Kenny hasn't played a, a right wing back the last couple of weeks when you know there's been you know a, a position supposedly crying out for him as the, the natural option. Like you said, Tom Davis, as, as, as just been said, actually did well on the opposite flank and you know playing out out of position. But yeah, it's just like on the one hand. There seems more more natural options. I can understand where where he's gone for. If he doesn't fancy a player, he's he's gone for somebody he feels he can he can trust. But it did seem to overcomplicate matters for me. And as we saw throughout the game and the substitutions that were made, it it didn't work. Mm. Gav, it seems to be the Carlo Ancelotti is choosing the experience, really, isn't he? And it, it felt a little bit to me like when we started that game against Leeds, it was a bit square pegs in round holes, especially with the wing backs in those roles. Yeah, yeah, you can. I, I thought that would be a bit harsh, and I will be, to be honest with you. I think I would have kept the right wing back, haven't played mm-hmm. so well for them, to be honest with you, then just resolved the left wing back position, you know, in, in, in its own way. Uh, I think by moving them over, you created two problems when only one really existed, you know. Um, so I think that's what it's, I think it was unfair on, maybe a little bit unfair on a Wolby. I think it was a difficult role to come into. Um, I would, I could have understood keeping a Wobie wide, wide right and putting Davis in wide left. To be honest with you, mm. uh, as a as, as a better way of go, going about things, uh, yeah. Well, this is what you get. This one of the problems with Carlo is that yeah, he does have to. I want to say mistrust, but it's not maybe not necessarily his biggest strength as a manager. And what, what you know, Chris has spoken about his stellar CV. Um, Developing young talent is maybe not necessarily, while within the first team, is not necessarily his, his, his greatest gift. We could say that about a lot of managers, couldn't you, really? Um, yeah. And whether Everton need that at the moment it is another thing, um, to be fair. Yeah, but I just think, just, just think there was too many square pipes and round holes, I felt, on, on, on Saturday. And when I look at it again, maybe like a flat back four and even the flat four in midfield might have been a better better option to, for us to be fair because we just never got to grips with Leeds and Leeds' formation did. We ended up playing Leeds' type of game. Yeah. Didn't we? Which I don't think uh don't think there's any favours. Mm. And I think we've we've still got that problem down the left hand side of the pitch, really, haven't we? I mean Fabian Delft was introduced in the second half, but I don't think he really fared much better than Alex Iwobi once he was brought onto the pitch. Well, he's playing left. Yeah, it's difficult to come into that type of game, isn't it? And a source of shine. But it just gives us an option. I, I'm kind of mentioned on Friday, and the more I felt of watching the game on Saturday, I thought that that should have been the option that was played as play back for with, with, with Delph as, as, as left, left wing, uh, you know, left, left back. I mean, but what it shows once again is, said this on Friday, it shows about weaknesses, a complete absence of senior left-footed players in the squad. Mm. 
Me and we got Delph Rodriguez and Kinku. He's, he's put on his right foot, isn't he? Brandweight and that's in. So of them, yeah. only two are senior players and Delph's on the periphery. Yeah. So, especially when you're playing with a flat back three, you know, with a flat back three, you want your left-sided centre-halves to be left-footed. And um, I just think that that's a major weakness in the squad that needs addressing because as we... As we've seen on Saturday, it just we end up playing square, square by pegs in the left left peg hole, as you say, you know. <laughs> uh, and as you mentioned before, Preno, I thought on the opposite flank, Tom Davis actually did quite well. I thought he gave a decent count for himself in a position yeah. that he's quite unfamiliar with. But you know, it, it goes back to a question that we asked after the Fulham game as well. Where does that leave John Joe Kenny? Because Carlo Ancelotti said before the game that while he wasn't 100% fit, he was available for this game at the weekend. Now, whether Kenny may, might have picked up another problem before the match, we don't know, but he wasn't in the squad and Tom Davis is getting picked ahead of him in a role that you'd think that Kenny should be playing, really. To, to, to me, it looks quite clear, and I might be being a little bit too simplistic about this, but it appears that Carlo doesn't really fancy him. Um, you know, he's... He, He's he played him on a couple of occasions and then jettisoned him very, very quickly. And it suggests that, you know, he believes there are better options elsewhere in the squad. Um, I hope that's not the case, you know, regarding all the selections, because Anthony Gordon is the other one that, you know, constantly seems to be being ignored uh, by the manager, despite bright cameos whenever he's played, admittedly, you know, in Carabao Cup ties, not Premier League games, although second half in Southampton, you know, so he, he was bright. So, yeah, it's like Carlo does seem to make decisions very, very quickly. And as Gavin mentioned earlier, he does seem to have more trust in experience rather than, you know, sort of youthful zest and impetuosity. I know Tom Davis could come into that youthful impetuosity category, but equally, he's got a fair bit of experience behind him. He's played a lot of senior football uh, since, you know, he made his debut against Man City all those years ago. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was the last game of the season against uh, Norwich, wasn't it? So he's played a lot of football. Uh, in that time so yeah he does seem to place a great deal of store in experience you know so rather than youngsters you know so learning on the job but to answer the question i think it, the outlook doesn't look bright uh, for john joe kenny you know otherwise i think he would be getting more football than he is at the moment mm. do you agree with that view bees i mean kenny would have come back from his loner shelter this season and thinking to himself oh i've had had a decent time in the bundesliga i've proven that i can do it on a senior level but He's just not getting the chance on the ground for Ancelotti, is he? Yeah, right back was the, the one area most sort of up for grabs, as it were, in, in the summer, wasn't it? Um, as as great as Seamus Coleman has been, and Carlo said a lot of positive things about him this season, saying, you know, he's one of his greatest ever captains. He was asked how long he could go on for, because Coleman's just turned 32, and he, he mentioned 40 as, as, a, <laughs> as a figure. I mean, some players who he's obviously had in Serie A can last that long. I'm not too sure in the Premier League. But yeah, Seamus Coleman, the wrong side of 30, certainly. Um, Gibriel Sadibi was there on loan last season. They decided not to take that on, possibly with a post-coronavirus market. wasn't seen as good good value. So, you know, John Joe Shen- Kenny, if you were to have brought in a new sign-in from the Bundesliga, said, look, we've got this lad who's been first choice for Schalke. You know, he's done well last season in the Bundesliga, you know, in his early 20s. We'd all be very excited. But I suppose it's John Joe Kenny and, and we know him. And obviously, Carlo's seen him for the first time. And it is almost anyone but John Joe Kenny at the moment. So, yeah, it doesn't look great for him. I mean, he could change his his mind. But I suppose, as things stand at the moment, it's not looking particularly bright for him. Mm. 
I suppose Gav, the, the big thing that Kenny does have in his in his locker is that Everton have got a, a huge amount of games coming up in December, haven't they? So if a chance is going to fall his way, you, you'd like to think that it probably would fall his way in this period. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, to be honest with the Kenny, the Kenny thing at the moment is he's got more chance of playing 4-3-3, four, four, three, three, hasn't he, than a 3-4-3, three, three, where you want your uh, wide right-hand side right wing back to be able to be equally adept going forward is what they are defensively. Now, obviously, Luca Dean can do that. Um, Alex, what we did to a certain degree on against Fulham. Uh, I don't think Coleman would be up to it. I think as much as, because um, of his fitness, as much as anything else, getting up and down for 90 minutes on that side of the, on the side of the pitch is a big ask. Well, I was the thinking young, to myself, young players, it would, would Coleman fit in as yeah. a third centre-back rather than Rather than the, the wing back when he comes back, yeah, he's yeah, done that. I think at some point last season, maybe didn't he? Yeah, but maybe the height we've got, we've got we're all right for centre ash, but I, I don't think Coleman fit fit the profile as what you want for a, a right wing back. To be fair, and I don't think Kenny does because Kenny's pure, purely more of a defender, isn't he, than somebody to go forward. So that's where it makes sense to play. Will be so I won't I won't be too concerned if I was Kenny thinking I'm not getting a game in three four three. I think I'd be more concerned if that has happened this season where he's not been getting a game in 4 4 2, has he? But he played Godfrey out. I, mean, I don't know whether Kenny was injured at that time. Maybe, maybe he's not getting a get game in 4 4 2 um, going forwards. And as you say, we've got a run of games coming up and playing 4 4 2, as, and, and Kenny's not getting a game there because we're playing, say, Godfrey there or Tom Davis there or even a Warby there. Then I think that, that's where he's uh, been knocking on the manager's door. Hmm. So, Prano, this is now two games that Everton have played with their new 3-4-3 sort of system. And yeah. probably only 45 minutes where they've looked actually quite good playing in that formation. Yeah. Would you would you stick with it going, no. going forward or would you try and switch it as soon as possible? No, no definitely not. Um, we saw some very, very good football going forward against Fulham in the first 45 minutes. Uh, but defensively, we, we looked open. Uh, it didn't resolve our defensive issues at all. Um, and Saturday, it was far from convincing as well. I just don't really see what it gives us. You know, if you if you've got Luca Dean and you've got Seamus Coleman, you know, start playing in those wide positions, flying forward and creating things. Well, yeah, okay, maybe persevere with us, but I just don't see what we get from it at the moment. Um, I, I, I think you know he is overcomplicating the issue at the moment. Carlo he seems to be like overthinking it a little. And uh, you know, four three three was successful at the start of the season. Obviously, you know, some of the personnel from that have been taken out. But personally, I would prefer to see us go back to that and uh, just try and find you know, sort of other options to play in the roles of the players who are missing at the moment. Because uh, from what I've seen on you know, the brief evidence so far, it hasn't worked and I don't see any potential for it to improve going forward. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think Preno mentioned it a little bit earlier and I think one of the biggest things in my opinion, about the 3-4-3 is the position of James Rodriguez. And I think, yeah. especially against Leeds, we were seeing him much more on the periphery than we've been used to since he's made his move to Goodison Park. And I think that really did affect how well Everton went forward. Do you think Do you think that he really fits into this 3-4-3 system? Or do you think he, he'd be better off switching back to a 4-3-3 to get the best out of Hammer? That's the million dollar question with Hammers at the moment because to be fair, he, he was playing really effectively in the 4 3 3 up to that point 
in the derby where obviously Virgil van Dijk went through him early. He was struggling after then and he's never really got it back. Um, obviously, it's been mentioned, maybe teams, maybe oppositions have found him out, found Everton out to a certain extent after those carefree early games of the season where it's like, oh, if we if we play Hamas Rodriguez in a certain way, we can nullify Everton's attack. But um, I'm, I'm not too sure that that's the case. I, I think it's just a, a case of him. He got hurt in that game. He's been playing half fit, and he just needs to to get his mojo back in in in, in many ways. And I suppose Carlo Ancelotti is the manager to do that. I, I don't know if the the change of formation is is good for Everton. Full stop, as Dave said. I mean, I've I've never really liked the free centre back. It's tend to be in the past forever, and it's been a five three two rather than a three four three when they've gone with three centre halves. But I just don't think, particularly in England. Um, footballers are, are natural in that position. They don't really know what they're doing. They're not comfortable in that because they don't play it on a regular basis. So, it, I mean, Walter Smith was a big advocate of it, wasn't he? He used to play it quite a lot at Everton. But I, I think going forward, um, Hammers Rodriguez, it, his particular role can can sort of reprise that, that early season role. It just, it's just a case of how he teases that out of him at the moment. Mm. What's your thought on Hammers, Gav, in this system? Uh, what the what the lads have said, said really. Um, I was just wondering if you were playing four three three, you'd still be definitely playing a similar role. So I just think it's down to, to teams have got countermeasures now, having the outer play against us, and it was accent mate worsened on Saturday because you knew because of the problem on the left hand side of the pitch, like on the right hand side, you're maybe going to see see more of the ball. Um, regarding three at the back, I agree. Um, three, if you're playing three at the back, you've got to be like a mature defensive team, haven't you? You know, all the three centre halves need to know each game, their, their games inside out. And you think about it, Wolves, I know Wolves are slightly changed, but Wolves have played it for years, haven't they? Mm. You know, same three, three or four centre halves week in, week out, and it becomes a really well developed system. Uh, with us, where we're chopping the change in the defence every week, um, we have four different centre-half partnerships or trios in the last four games, something like that, four or five matches, which is not great in itself. Yeah, and to try to bring a three-man back, three-man defensive wall and that, in that environment isn't great. Uh, and, that, and we saw that on Saturday. I also think that on Saturday, I think sort of their goal came from that, I think, to be honest with you. Um, don't think Alan pushed back enough, did he, for, for their goal as well? It was course upfield and the, the lads was able to pick up the ball and load the space where you want your defensive midfielder in that area. Um, so in terms of the, the coordination between the back three and the central defensive midfielder, it all has to be really well developed. And it, we're not we're not like that at all, are we, in terms of our maturity as a defensive unit at the moment? Because we're a little bit I know says at the start, we're all over the place, are we to a degree? Mm. Um and uh, but I you know, go back to four four 443, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> get the extra man on the pitch. <laughs> I was going to say 433, 442, and that needs to get a hybrid. They're both, you know, go back to 433 and 442 instead of 343 from what I've seen so far. No, I, I saw some stats this morning about uh, Hamas Rodriguez, which were quite stark, to be honest. Um, the first five Premier League games he played this season, I think he made two. Well, I'm not, I think I'm reading it out here. I haven't got memory quite as good as that. Uh, he made 249 passes 
creating 15 chances, of which three were assists, and he scored three goals. In the four games he's played since then, uh, he's made 169 passes. He's created eight chances, so that's half as many, uh, and registered no assists and no goals. Now, okay, that coincides with, as Chris mentioned earlier, that buffeting he got from Virgil van Dijk, the fact he's been away on international duty in that time as well and come back and had to play games you know, after long flights back from South America. So there are contributory factors, but... It is, you know, a fairly stark um, contrast in what he was doing at the start of the season and what he's doing now. And, you know, taking all that into account, I also think that a lot of the, that is down to the fact that other teams have spotted how influential he was in the start of the season. And they are nullifying the space he can play in, you know, the detailing players to close him down and to prevent him turning inside, and, you know, sort of playing passes through. Uh, and so we need to find a way of overcoming that. And, you know, as a, a massive of urgency, really, because, you know, so with Luca Dean being taken out of the equation on the other flank, you know, the Rodriguez becomes even more important uh, in our creativity uh, terms. And, you know, we need to overcome it. And quite how you do that, you know, I certainly don't think it's going to do it by playing 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, personally, I'd go back to forward the back, like I said, and, you know, sort of try and, I don't know, just persevere, you know, sort of try and see if you can play through this little little spell uh, and come back because the flashes at the weekend. I mean, that was a wonderful, wonderful goal he scored, which yeah. was unfortunately, you know, so ruled out by a you know Herd's Beth VAR decision. So there are flashes of it there, but I mean, we are, you know, what they say form is you know so temporary classes permanent, and you know he is classy. But there's a problem there clearly at the moment, and you know so we need to do something to try and rectify it. Mm. Well, Chris, while Leeds might have got men around James Rodriguez at the weekend, he certainly didn't get men around Alan, who had a a very different performance than we've yeah. seen from him so far this season. But, you know, it, does it maybe prove that his best position is actually a little bit further forward than where we've been seeing him perhaps? Yeah, he certainly um, showed a new dimension to his game. I mean, he absolutely had that wonderful debut down at Tottenham and we all think, you know, he's going to be the classic anchorman, um, your, your, your Lee Carsley-esque shield in front of the... The back four, and um, yeah, he certainly got a bit more in, in his locker to that. We saw oh, it was a couple of amazing, which was unfortunate for one of them. I thought when he mm. burst through, I thought, oh, he's going to score it. It was an incredible mm. burst. But uh, yeah, I think you'd put in your analysis piece, Adam. Um, you know, it, certainly if Jean-Philippe Gamann ever gets um, back to full fitness, I mean, touch wood that he does, because he's very much the mm. forgotten man. And, you know, let's remember a £25 million signing in his own right there. Uh, and certainly... Fills a more defence-minded um, role in the, the Everton midfield than the likes of uh, Andre Gomez or Gilfie Sigurdsson have been doing when they've been in there alongside Alan and Decore this season. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what we're going to see more from from Alan. He, you know, he's not just the um, the anchor man, the defensive shield. He, he is pap- capable of uh, the dribble, of moving the ball upfield, and, um, and uh, even having a bit of an, an, an effect in in the opposition final third. Mm. Well, Gav, this is something that we proposed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, wasn't it? That, you know, when once Gabamon does come back into the side, that yeah. Alan might get the chance to show a little bit more of what he was showing at Napoli. And, you know, I think we maybe got a, a little glimpse of that this weekend, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I thought he was a little bit on course on his feet for the goal, to be honest with you. But mm. apart from that, I thought he was uh, excellent. He was, uh, oh, don't you thought he was probably our man of the match? Uh, yeah. For me. Not just because of his, you know, his defensive ability, um, 
they can play up, but he was good on the ball as, as well. That would be one of the great gloves and goals if he scored that, wouldn't he? You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, we said that more along that. I think it's pretty much established now that Alan is not a defensive midfielder, so to one sort of sitting in front of his head to halves. He's a bit more of a um, box-to-box guy, or somebody should be playing further up the pitch. And, and, and in many cases, that's been his weakness, hasn't it? In some respects, at Everton, because he has been caught up the pitch sometimes when he should be further back. Um, but yeah, I'd have no, no problem if the um, you know if Gabamon comes in, gets fit, and shows he's a Premier League player. Playing Alan in a bit more of a, uh, a mobile, uh, mobile role, role uh, for us, I think he'd be really well suited to that. Mm. What did you make of him, Preno? Were you a little bit surprised at all by his performance? Not surprised, no, because you know we, we've seen already this season that those qualities, you know, so are present in his game. You know, he is capable of carrying the ball, um, you know, and running with it rather than just sitting deep and intercepting it. Uh, and it was heartening, you know, so it looked like, you know, th- th- there's more of a player there than you know, so maybe some people anticipated. Uh, but, yeah, it was just frustrating that it wasn't mimicked across the pitch. You know, success stories were few and far between at the weekend. What I would like to say, Jordan Pickford, excellent, really, really good performance. Normally, when we mention Jordan Pickford, it's because there's been a problem or there's been some kind of issue with his game. And maybe I've just been a bit paranoid now, but even then, you, you, you hear little mentions of the goal that Leeds scored, you know, you know, went past Pickford and saying, well, yeah, of course, it was right in the corner. I've had discussions with people on social media really? about this all weekend. Like, really? some people really think that Pickford should have saved that, which I think oh, well, is just... Well, no, I, I disagree. You know, I agree with you, disagree with them, because, yeah, people are just looking for a stick to beating with too often. And when the opportunity is there to praise him, which was there at the weekend, because there were two or three very, very good saves, uh, we should be taking them. The only concern I've got is it was a busy performance from a busy afternoon and he does tend to flourish on days like that. It's when he's got very little to do and he's asked to do something, you know, so mid the second half, the things can go a bit wrong. But, you know, that's just, you know, so splitting hairs. He was very, very good. Uh, so, yeah, Alan was great, you know, so in terms of outfield and what he brought. But equally, I, I probably thought Jordan Pickford edged it in terms of man of the match. You don't want to hear that. You don't want your goalkeeper to be man of the match in a home game. <laughs> well, Beezer, I feel like I'm going to ask a question that's been asked for about the last year on this podcast but is this a performance that Jordan Pickford can now take a bit of heart from you know he's had a, he's, he's made a few good saves there he can hopefully take a bit of confidence from this into into coming games can't he? I hope so um, yeah um, there's never been a question about his ability for me um, what you know as a, as a shot stopper that classic phrase as a shot stopper and even with the, with the ball at his feet um it's a great kicker of the ball, which you need in a, in a modern goalkeeper. But the the problem has been these 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 strange, unforced errors, these lapses of concentration, these odd mistakes that have been creeping through. We know that he's got the ability there, and um, he's had that from from the start. It's when he either overcomplicates things, he, he turns what should be a a big plus point is is kicking into a weakness because he tries to overplay it, or he makes some inexplicable blunder by dropping the ball when he's not under pressure or anything like that. So, yeah, I, hope, I really do hope that he, he does that because, as it's been pointed out, he, it's almost like it has become a stick to beat him with now. Um, I think people were mentioning with that goal, has he been beaten from outside the area more than other goal, any other goalkeeper or something? But uh, you could flip that round and say, well, they've had to be great strikes to beat in long wrist, distance um, strikes that nobody had a chance with. So, yeah, I do really hope because all, that's all he needs is a good, consistent 
run now. I mean, it was interesting, actually, with um, see uh, Losel on the bench rather than Olsen there. But, um, mm. yeah, um, if John Pickford just needs to... Just be a, a, a run of uneventful matches where it, it means that he's doing his job properly. Mm. The other side of the debate that I've been having this weekend, Gav, you know, they people have been saying to me that you know Jordan Pickford should be making those sorts of saves. You know, that's that's his job on the pitch. That that's what he's there to do. Now, I I personally think that some of those saves are absolutely world class, and you wouldn't find many goalkeepers in the world making yeah. those kind of saves. But do you think there's there is an argument to suggest that he should be do, doing those things? Well, that's what you paid whatever the fee was for him for the start, yeah. wasn't it? I think to be fair, there's England number one keeper. You'd, you'd expect you'd, ex, you'd expect nothing less with all with all due respect. Uh, it was it was going pick on Penno's point. Those are the type of games he flourishes, isn't he? When he's busy, I know we don't want to see as an Everton supporter. You go only busy, but when he has to concentrate for ninety minutes and be on his game, those are his type of performances when he tends to flourish, isn't it? I mean, as for conceding the goal, as I say, I'd put uh, Alan's favourite to sack back and Godfrey's challenges way ahead of Jordan's, uh, you know, inability to, to save the goal, uh, to be honest with you. I think um, sometimes you get beaten from outside the area, you know, because you're not you're not great at uh, saving long-distance shots because the defence has given the, 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 the player an opportunity to shoot in the first place. And I thought Godfrey should have done better. He had an opportunity to challenge and block and didn't. And then by the time he did, he was a little bit too late, wasn't he? And um, I, I blame I blame two other players before I blame Pickford for, uh, if at all, uh, for, for for Saturday night's uh, Saturday night's goal. That's what, and you've got to see in the context of course. I mean, he got caught that once in the first half. No, the other the the, the post wasn't it. He was in a bit a little bit of no man's land, wasn't he? For that, mm. we got away with that. But he, he pulled off three or four uh, superb saves, didn't he? Uh, that kept mm. us in the game. I mean, if it wasn't for Jordan the first half, we could have probably gone in 3 0 down, wouldn't we? Uh, to yeah. be fair. Mm. You know, so some, sometimes there's no pleasing people, is there? Really. <laughs> and Preno, just to finish off, another another point that me and Gav picked up on, on game day, to be honest, was uh, Mason Holgate was captain of the side, fourth different captain in four games for Everton. Uh, that can't really be a good thing, can it? No, it underlines an old theme that we've revisited many times on this podcast that we don't have that many absolute, you know, obvious leaders uh, in the squad at the moment. I mean, when I was thinking about it on Friday and we thought about, you know, the, the likely lineup, and obviously, you know, so so many potential captains are missing, or actual captains are missing, you think, well, who could it be? And personally, Michael Keane, I thought would be the obvious, you know, sort of choice to go to. You know, he's an international. Uh, he's played a lot of Premier League football. You know, he plays in that area of the pitch, you know, so where captains tend to come from. And I was a little bit surprised that, you know, so he didn't have the armbands. Does that mean that uh, maybe he wouldn't react well to that level of pressure and scrutiny, which is maybe why Carla decided to spurn him in? Uh, it, reflects, it does reflect well on Mason Holgate, but not on the squad as a whole. If we're having to make that many changes, you know, so often, if we've had so many different individuals wearing the armband, Including, you know, Tom Davis, who like wore the armband at the age of like nineteen or twenty, was it? Uh, if yeah, if there is clearly a lack of leadership, you know, so in that squad, that doesn't necessarily come with just wearing the armband. You can be a leader, you know, without wearing the armband. Alan, you know, looks like he could be a potential leader, but you know, he's still brand new to the club. He's only played like you know some ten games, so you know, you've got to let the guy, you know, so you know, bed in first before you give that level of responsibility to him. But yeah, it was another concern, really. You know, as if like losing one nil at home isn't enough. Uh, who, wear, who wears the armband on the day is, is another issue. 
Um, if, if Carlo believes that Mason Holgate is, is the right person to have that armband, stick with him now. You know, so stick with him for the foreseeable. Let him just see if he grows into the role and whether the uh, responsibility does affect his game. Didn't at the weekend. I thought he was okay. Didn't think anything he did. You know, so you know, uh, reflected adversely. So, uh, but to answer the question, no, it, it's not a good look. It, it does indicate that there are issues with the squad makeup generally. Mm. But Bees is friendly, right? He says, I don't think it reflects badly on Mason Holgate at all. I think, you know, we've picked up on his increase of leadership qualities over the last mm-hmm. few months with him, with mm-hmm. him breaking into the side and keeping mm-hmm. his place. And it was, it was good to see him rewarded with the armband, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin Ratcliffe was only very young when he uh, got the, the captaincy. He ended up being Everton's most um, successful skipper. Um, uh, obviously, Bobby Moore, the, the World Cup as well. He, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, a veteran player at the time at all. So, definitely, he's. Be, he's I think he's a vocal presence on the field, and maybe that's what it, it was, as opposed to Michael Keane, because as Dave points out, you know, as a the senior centre back, I think he's about twenty seven now. Keane, isn't he? You know, obviously schooled at. Manchester United before coming through at Burnley and Everton, you would think it perhaps at space value a more natural option. But yeah, for Holgate's point of view, yeah, it does. It shows you the uh, the importance that um, Carlo Ancelotti um, feels that he has in the squad. He's been almost um, a mainstay in the side, apart from when he's had his injury problems. He's sort of easing him back in at the moment. You know, Carlo has called upon him on most occasions since he he came to the club. So he's obviously he's a player that he thinks has got. A, a great future, and uh, we talked about the players who Carlo might not fancy. It seems uh, the opposite with Mason Holgate. He's, he's a player he very much tr- trusts in. Mm. Yeah, you tend to find that when you revolve in the captaincy, you know, so frequently, it almost seems to coincide with unsuccessful spells at the club. I'm thinking like the one season that really stood out for me was was it 97, 98 when Howard was in his third spell, mm. and we had five different skippers during the course of that season, including, mm. would you believe it, Slavin Bilic handed it uh, for, for one game. Uh, Nick Barnby wore it, Don Hutchison. Uh, Dave Watson started the season and was given to Gary Speed very quickly. It was just like, you know, so it rotated so frequently. And that was like one of the worst seasons in living memory, that one. So it generally indicates that, you know, there's a problem generally if you happen to find a different leader every week. So, yeah, like I said earlier, if Mason Holgate is the man that Carlo trusts, give him a little run at it. You know, so give him a couple of months maybe or until Seamus Coleman returns. And, uh, you know, so see how he does. Mm. Yeah, agree with that. Yeah, I think picking up on Plano's points, I think the start of last season had similar runs in me, but Dinia, Davis, Sigurdsson, Coleman, all captain and the team. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's not, not, not never great when that happens. Yeah, I think, I, I thought it was strange that Mason was dropped last week and then Cutmook returns as captain. <laughs> it was a bit, 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 bit of an odd one. Uh, I, but if I was Mason, I'd be concentrating on trying to develop it into a Premier League class centre half, to be honest with you, rather than captaincy over the next uh, few months. Because I don't think he's, you know, he's still a lot to work, a lot of work to be done there. It's interesting that Keane's sort of being passed over there as well, though, isn't it? Because he would be the obvious choice because of his seniority. But maybe Carlo thinks that. And that, I mean, we've sort of said this before on the, on the in the past, haven't we, on the pod that Michael perhaps is somebody. He, he, he needs to be uncomplicated. That's a way just concentrate on what you're doing and don't have many distractions. Um, and um, I think the captaincy would just give another level of pressure that perhaps he doesn't need uh, based on what we've seen so far in his career. So it makes sense, really, from those out there on Saturday for Holgate to be the skipper. But 
Scrano says it's not ideal when you're swapping the captain's armband uh, around uh, every five minutes. Mm. Well, it'll be certainly interesting to see who takes up the armband against Burnley, but we'll talk more about that game later in the week. That's all we've got time for today. Uh, don't forget you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from, and you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.